Derek, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Pleasure. And uh, right now, Darren, you are working the cafe, the cafe here, New yeah. Expresso, yeah, and you are a shift supervisor. Shift supervisor, yeah. Is it true that you also sing in the band? I do, yes. I do a bit of music. As you see on the, the, the video there, I work for another place called the Irene Taylor Trust, which uh, does music called Making Tracks in Prisons and Sounding Out when they come out of prisons, and we link up with them then again, um, just as a mentorship, helping them through and giving them something constructive and positive to do. Uh, Hopefully, you know, give, give them a, a little foundation, a little solid base to, to work with and, and, you know, to meet some some good people who are, who are working and can support and encourage them in, in, in their life and in turn their life around. Super. Darren, tell us a bit more about yourself. Like, what do you enjoy doing during your free time? Uh, I like gym. I haven't had much opportunity to do that recently. Uh, I like riding my bike. Um, I spend time with my grandchildren. Um, yeah, I like doing music with Irene Taylor Trust. Uh, and enjoy uh, doing talks like this uh, to encourage and hopefully uh, inspire other people. Super, thanks so much. Hey, Darren, um, as we saw in the video, life uh, wasn't always great. And do you mind sharing with us what was it like growing up? Crazy, crazy, crazy uh, is what springs to mind. Uh, grew up in a, a quite chaotic and dysfunctional family from a very early age. Um, Member from like four or five years of age, you know, just just chaos in my house and being taken away by social services and neighbours and stuff like that. And yeah, so so uh, very very dysfunctional from from the very beginning. Um, my father dying when I was eight nine years of age, and then my mother developing mental health issues and in and out of psychiatric units and stuff like that. So yeah, quite a, a crazy beginning there. Yeah. Thirty years. Been out of prison? Yeah. Um, what happened? So, uh, to say, from the dysfunctional family, actually going out onto the streets, uh, joining up with, you know, people who were doing the wrong things, rightly or wrongly, um, uh, but helped me through, obviously, a, a dis, you know, a, a troublesome time, a traumatic time indoors. And when I went in, it was just chaos and just madness. And, you know, my mother uh, try, trying to commit suicide in front of us and stuff like that, as I say, from, from, you know, from a young, young age. So... Nine, ten years of age, I was out on the streets, you know, uh, meeting up with people that that uh, I could have a laugh and a joke with, if you like, as a, as a, as a child, you know, as a baby, at nine, ten years of age, uh, by the age of 11, into uh, social care, uh, boarding schools, you know, care homes, lock-up secure units, 11, 12, 13 years of age, 14 detention centres, Borstal at 15, uh, came out of there and I was just coming up to 17 and, and then got another... Uh, long-term sentence for a free young offender, which was three years detained, which was done all three years and got an extra sentence on that when I got put in prison uh, for taking a hostage and, and craziness in there. Um, came out of that, I was out for nine months and then I was arrested for, for the murder. Um, serving, yeah, 20, just over 22, two and a half years of that and a recall as well. Um, back on a sentence after that, got another five years, eight months as well, so out for four years and then back in on a life sentence recall and another five and a half years. Uh, speak up a bit so the guys at the back can also hear you. Okay, yeah. And um, thanks so much for just uh, no, being willing okay. to share. And do you mind sharing with us what was life like in prison? Just give us a glimpse what was life like. Um, I mean, the, the average person, you know, going into some of the prisons that I was in would be absolutely horrified, but I suppose over the years, it just got to a stage where I just numbed to it. And as you know, I've said to a few people recently, prison was actually 
got to a stage where it was quite a safe place for me, you know, a secure place because I knew where I was, I knew what the structure was, I knew when I, what time I was going to work, what time I was being locked up. So there, there was like a, a sense of like, you know, just in certain prisons, just calmness and just, you know, just went with the flow and, you know, I adapted very quickly. I'd moved about to so many different prisons that, that, that I just learned to adapt very quickly to different situations and, and you know, uh, so yeah, it, it at times it was hairy and there were some bad places that I was in, you know, some quite really dark places. Um, and then there was other places where, you know, I could crack on and do education, do gym, you know, uh, and just relax and just, you know, get on with my sentence, you know. But uh, as I say, you know, there, there's good prisons, there's bad prisons. And, you know, you just try and find your way in amongst all, all, the, all the madness that's in there and, and try and find a, a, a little straight path that, you know, you can get on and you can continue to move forward, even though you are locked up. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, uh, colourful and, and different different extremes in different prisons, you know. But as I say, it got to a point where I suppose I was just numb to it, and it, it, it didn't it didn't it weren't a deterrent for me no more. You know, it's quite a safe place. Yeah. And uh, today we are thinking about change, mm -hmm. transformation happen. Yeah. Thirty years in prison. Do you want to share a bit? What do you what do you try in order to change? Oh, uh, I mean, throughout my life, you know, I've, you know, I've never in in. 1988, um, I had a, 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 a spiritual experience uh, with God, um, and other way that always had my faith. But um, it, it, yeah, I mean, I've done everything when I was in prison, and you know, there's all, all like uh, uh, sentence planning, targets, and stuff like that. Um, and identify from from your actions based on what you've done, whether it was violence or robbery, or you know, uh, uh, you know being devious, robbing, thieving or whatever. And mine obviously was was uh, a violent offence. So you're looking at relationship difficulties, holding grudges, use of weapons, you know, stuff like that. And then what they'll do, victim awareness, uh, anger management, enhanced thinking skills. And so from, from your risk factors that you get would be using weapons and violence and stuff like that. It's the sort of courses they're wanting to do to minimise that risk. Um, so lots and lots of, of therapy, one-to-one -one counselling, you know, with one-to-one -one psychology, with, you know, about childhood behaviour and trauma and stuff like that. Um, literally went through the whole selection and everything that was available. I always jumped on board, always, you know, done it. And um, so, you know, therapy, one-to-one counselling, all uh, uh, behavioural courses, uh, enhanced thinking skills, victim awareness, you know, drug rehabilitation, drug units, therapy units, therapeutic units for, for like 18 months, 12 months a year. Um, quite intense therapy as well. Um, family. So, so yeah, you know, family my wife, you know, my kids, you know, I, I tried to do everything to change with, you know, um, including, you know, looking at the love of my wife. I'm still with the same woman. I've been with her for uh, odd years and she's waited for me all that time. So, um, you know, trying to do it for them, trying to do it for my kids, my grandchildren. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I've done a life sentence, done all the courses, done everything available to me. And, and still end up getting recorded and going back to prison with another sentence. So the behaviors were still there. It didn't stop me. Uh, and I think, you know, it didn't change that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really prepare you for this question. Okay. Um, but why? Like, why do you think it's so hard to change? Um, because every time I, I, I used to get into sticky situations or, or, or stressful situations or things weren't going right or, you know, I couldn't get on. I walked about a, a bag full of behaviours, a rucksack full of behaviours on my back that I knew that, you know, rightly or wrongly, that any time that I got in a stressful or a bad situation, I could find something in there that would help me get through and get me through a trouble, whether, whether it was right or wrong or, you know, 
um, irrelevant of the consequences that, you know, that that was what I learned as a child and that was the learned behaviours um, that helped me through a troubled period when I was a young kid uh, that went on to control my life for the next 40 odd years. Um, and as I say, it, it got, you know, it, it was a point where, as I say, I, you know, that if anything went wrong or, or, you know, things went chaotic or went mad or I wasn't happy with something, then I, I could change that in, 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 you know, in a second by pulling something out of this, this bag of behaviours that, that I carried around with me from, from a very young kid. So, yeah, lots of mm. different therapy, lots of, you know, love, lots of, you know, support, um, you know, all of the one-to-one -one therapy and sessions that I needed. Uh, and, and nothing, it never stopped me. It never, never ever stopped me. We're going to go back a bit. Then you shared some exposure to the person of Jesus. Do you want to share how that first got started? Yeah, um, I, my, my, my nan was Irish from Northern Ireland, from Belfast, so uh, very Roman Catholic. Uh, I used to go around her house and crosses everywhere, and you know she was always praying and, and going to church and stuff like that. Uh, my family, my dad and, and my, his brothers and, and my mother and, and people like they didn't have no faith at all. There, you know, there wasn't no no faith in my house. Um, however, I grew up with a lot of Irish people, a lot of travelling people that I grew up with around West London. Um, you know, I see them as, as kids in 10, 11 years of age. You know, they'd go to mass on a Sunday and I'd probably go along yeah. and we'd, I remember sitting in a little house and just all nuns, you know, talking to us and stuff like that and, you know, learning bits about scripture. But, um, yeah, so, so I remember my faith from, from a very early age and always believed in God, always believed in faith. Um, but, yeah, so, so, so all the way through, you know, um, I've always, always believed in Jesus, always believed in God. Um, and that was around the age of, I'd say about eight, nine, ten. Okay. Yeah, them sort yeah, of ages. Time. Yeah, from from you know, from what, that's as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was serving my my sentence, uh, five and a half years, I um, I had an experience where I was in isolation segregation units for for about eighteen months, seventeen, eighteen months. In all those years, when you were in and out of prison. How did your faith feature? Did it feature much? I mean, I always used to go to church. I mean, church used to be a place where I'd go and meet people from other wings, you know, and we'd pass things around the wings and stuff like that, uh, <laughs> you know. But I, I always knew that, that, obviously, that wasn't the right thing to do in a church. And, you know, even when I used to go out with people and, and we used to go out and, and, you know, feed and stuff like that, um, they'd be blessed, like they'd be Irish traveling boys and they'd be blessing themselves before they was going to do something wrong and, I, and it never, <laughs> never rung true I thought no this, this ain't right I knew it weren't right in my heart um so I, I always knew what what faith stood for and it, it was a, a a good journey a righteous journey a pure journey and that if you was going to do that then it had to be you know you couldn't half do it sit on the fence and you know um so it, it for me it was quite a big commitment to 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 make that uh decision um, yeah. And uh, here's the big question: How did you get from prison where you are today, sitting here? Okay. Uh, as I say, I got recalled back to prison, um, uh, back to Pentonville, and I was doing the same things when I got recalled, ducking and diving, passing things around, and doing this and doing that for about three or four months. And I mean, I, I had an experience with, with, with a save with God in 1988 where I was in my cell and I just thought, you know, I just want to be good. I was about 21. I'd just come out of isolation and segregation units. And I thought, I just want to be good. I just want to do the right thing. Live like a, a normal life, you know, get a wife and a child and have a you know, nice job and get on my life. And I remember thinking, God is good. And then I was just like, it was just like a, a spiritual awakening that actually 
for the first time in my life, I got up the next day and I could actually see the sun shining. I could hear the birds singing. I could smell the grass. I could see the wind blowing. Just little tiny things that I've been in such a, a dark and, and traumatic, chaotic place in my head that I've never actually sat back and actually been able to appreciate or see those things, you know. So waking up like 21, 22 years of age and, and seeing that, say it was like a, 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 you know, and I knew in my heart that, you know, I had to to go and commit to God and I still run away. And you showed him at the age of 50, something happened. Yeah, as I say, I got recalled back to prison, uh, doing all the same things, three, four months, you know, and got back to my cell one night and I, I literally nearly had, had five with a load of like, children, I thought 16, 17, 18 years of age, running around, you know, with knives in there and all sorts of craziness and little gangs and that. And... I've done something for somebody and it all went wrong and they come there going, hey, they're going to do this. And I thought, what's going on here? I'm 50 years of age and I've got like 17, 18 year old kids telling me they're going to come down and punch my face in and want to stab me. And, you know, you don't know what they're going to do. And they're just like, you know, they've got no uh, idea of consequences. Don't think about that. And they just get to a gang and they're like a pack of wolves. And I got in my cell and I thought, like, when is this going to stop? When am I going to stop this? When's, you know, I'm 50 odd years of age now. I've been recalled back to prison. You know, I'm still doing the same things I was doing when I was like 14, 15, 16 years of age, you know, even like 20, 25, 30 years of age. I'm still doing the same things that I was doing from a child that, you know, behaviors that that helped me to survive. And I thought, wow, like, you know, I had all the love of my wife, my kids, my grandchildren waiting for me, um, supporting me, visiting me, traveling mm -hmm. around the country, looking after me, all the therapy, all the one-to-one -one counseling you know, uh, rehabilitation courses and stuff like that, and nothing had ever stopped me. And I thought, what is going to change? What is going to what is going to make me actually turn and and stop and and you know, have some sort of life for myself outside instead of thinking, right, I'm here now, and if I carried on with that behaviour, it was only a matter of time before I was going to go back to prison again. Um, as I say, you know, everything that I've done, it, it never stopped me. And it was this was July. 1919, 2018, 2018. Um, and I was, in, I was in my cell and I thought, you know what, the only thing I've never done is like literally 30 years nearly now to, to when I say God found me and I had that experience and just kept running away and running away. Even through my life since I was backwards and forwards in my faith and got to a stage where I'd commit to my faith. I'm like, well, no, I'm not doing that. And I'd run away again and go back into the craziness. And then I'd like ex-friends that I knew, you know, uh, villains, criminals, you know, whatever that were involved in things and always saying to me, you know, what are you doing over there? Get over, you're going to get brainwashed over there. Like take your Bible out of your cell or, you know, try and discourage me from going to the church and stuff like that. And so I ended up going back into the madness. So, um, yeah, at that night I got down on my knees and I just said, you know what, I can't do this. And if, if you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do, then here's your challenge. Do it for me. You know, help, help me to take change my life, transform my life, change my life, stop me doing those things that I've been doing for the last 40 odd years. Uh, and I got down on my knees and I, I said, look, you know, you do this, I can't do it. And I literally felt it and take that rucksack of behaviors off my back and say, you don't need that no more. And I felt just lighter already, you know, and I got up in the morning again and I just thought, right, this is it. This is a new day, a new beginning. This is where I start from. And um, I went to church and got linked up with the Alpha course, um, met Karis and Luke, um, and decided to get baptized. Um, that's very prudent. And it was literally 30 years to, yeah. to, to the month that, that God found me and then I got baptized. And you mind sharing a bit like what attracted you and continues to attract you to the person of Jesus? 
the beauty, the love, all the things that Jesus stands for, um, I'd done the complete opposite in my previous life um, with loads and loads of obviously consequences and, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, upsets and victims and, and stuff like that. Whereas now in Jesus, I could do all what he done, love people, be kind to them, help people, reach out to people. And no one can't say nothing. There's no rules against that. There's no laws against that. I can do that as much as I want. Uh, and the transparency and the accountability for me with Jesus is, is I was saying to Joel this morning, so important um, that everything is laid on the table uh, in the personal relationship, in my personal relationship with Jesus, um, that nothing is hidden. So I have to account for everything that I do, um, which obviously I've never done before. Um, so having that transparency, having that friendship, that 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 God, that Jesus, that, that man that I can turn to and there's no lies, there's no manipulation, there's no deviousness. Um, and I say everything is accountable to, to Jesus. And, and, and anything I, about I love the, that. the person of Jesus that really attracts you to him? Um, just, just, you know, his walk, what he'd done, uh, where he was, you know, helping uh, people on the streets and marginalised. Um, and, you know, if, 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 he was, if he was just a human being, just a normal man, he would still be someone that I could look up to and know that he, he does everything right and, you know, and he's accountable uh, for everything he does. Uh, so, yeah, just, just that accountability, you know, and the man that he was, uh, and, and God. Darren, thank you so much for, for your time. <laughs> Darren, thank you again for for being just really open and mm -hmm. being willing to share about your life story. I'm sure it's not been been easy, and no. just being really open with us. And is it all right if people come to chat to you after? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super. Okay. Uh, just to say, for the next so, 12 minutes or so, we are going to be considering uh, this whole topic of true transformation. And I want to start by asking us, how do our officers think about this topic of true transformation? Uh, let me tell you about my own experience. Uh, back, I think the secret that the officers have is exams. They drill you as employees with test questions, and they make sure you pass all the exams. Uh, back when I was working previously, I was working uh, on the trading floor in the bank. And before dealing and selling to clients, you had to take about six or seven different exams before you can actually do so. And those who are architects or accountants or lawyers in the room, I, I understand your pain. And I remember the, the hardest test of all, of all the different tests I did, was the ethics test. And the ethics test was pretty much the hardest one. Everyone would fail on the first try. And the venue that we went to do the exam, uh, imagine a scene from the office. Um, it's quite a dingy room, lots of computers lined up. They herd you in uh, like a, a sheep, a flock of cattle, and you sit in front of the computer and you click on the mouse to do the test. And fortunately or unfortunately, uh, you get the exam results right away after you click submit. You go to the door, 
the lady there, she hands you a slip. And on there, you find out whether you pass or you fail. And if you pass, well, you transform from someone who is unethical to ethical. <laughs> you have this badge that you stick on yourself, ready to deal with the clients that says, I'm ethical. <laughs> and I'm not saying that these exams are, are useless. Maybe if you're cynic, uh, you think they are. But even the most charitable amongst us uh, would see, see it as a, as a tick box exercise. It only deals on the surface. And imagine the bank had a way of testing what goes on really inside and how much you love money. Or these, does the customer really matter more than the year-end bonus? Well, I imagine if that's the case, not many people will be working for a bank. I guess we all know surface transformation. Well, it's, it's difficult, but possible. A new gym routine or a new diet or a new habit is difficult, but possible. But to talk about deep transformation, your desires, your wants, your aspirations, well, that is much, much harder. So I'm not sure about your personal view about this topic of transformation. Maybe you're curious, but a little bit skeptical. And the aim of the next sort of 10 to 12 minutes or so is to give you some food for thought, to encourage you to just put aside your assumptions for a bit and make a fair assessment of what Jesus says. So let's take Darren's lead and let's meet the person of Jesus. You know, as Darren was speaking, I, I was wondering, maybe you may, you may be thinking, how does Darren speak about this person of Jesus as if it's someone who has really met? Well, the answer, well, it's right there on your table. Uh, so do pick it up. Uh, this book over here is John's uh, personal account of the person of Jesus. The way to think about it is uh, John, he was a friend and a follower of Jesus. They spent about three years together. They went traveling together. I went for meals together, probably went to the pub together. But more than that, John, he, he learned from Jesus and he witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed. And the most amazing miracle of all was the public death of Jesus. He died on a Roman cross and he was publicly raised for life. And John, he, he saw that with his very eyes. And what do you do if you're John? You write it down. You write it down in this account. And the episode that we'll be thinking about is all on this issue of change and transformation. You see, as Jesus, he arrives on the scene, that would mean change. But the old ways had to go, and the new ways had to come in. I think about change in your office. Uh, you can imagine it's hard, lots of issues and change. It's the classic who moved my cheese situation. And you end things up onto a national level. It's a massive confrontation and a clash. And it's into that epic conflict that Jesus, he stands up and he declares his analysis of why, of why people do not change. He identifies the root problem and he offers a genuine solution. We are in John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, that's on page 24 of the small booklets. And right there, line 12, right at the bottom, 
I'm going to read verse 12 for us. And I wonder whether you can spot what Jesus identifies as the root cause and the problem that Jesus says. Look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the problem that Jesus says is that we are walking in darkness. Have you ever been in total darkness before? Over the summer, I was in Croatia with my wife and I went to the beach. Like getting roasted on the beach is not really my kind of thing. Maybe it's yours, but I do enjoy swimming. And the beach that we went to, there was a really nice, uh, interesting cave as you saw a five-minute swim from the shore. And as you swim towards the cave uh, and you go in, uh, the water gets shallower and shallower. But it also gets darker and darker. And at some point, you're in total darkness. You close your eyes or you open your eyes. It's the same. Uh, you look at your hands. What hands? You can't see. It's complete darkness. And it's a bit disorientating. You're scrambling around in the dark. Where is your right or where's the left? And that is Jesus' description of the problem, darkness. But you see what he says is not just on the individual level, but also on a universal level. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And that assumes that the world by default is walking in darkness. You know, Google Maps, if you zoom all the way out, you can see the world from space, half of it in darkness, half of it in daylight. And it's as if the sun turns off, the stars turn off, and the world is plunged into total darkness. It's as if the world is plunged into that cave in complete darkness. Everyone is scrambling around. Where is the right? Where is left? And the result is utter chaos. But you see, of course, what Jesus is saying here um, is, is not speaking, he's not speaking about photons or, or light waves. It is a metaphor. It is a metaphor to describe the people who are right in front of him why they are resistant to change. You see, the darkness that Jesus is describing here is not physical, but moral. Darkness here is like being in a cave, but what you can't see is the truth. Not where is right and where is left, but what is right and what is wrong. See, moral, moral darkness is like a world in chaos. Everyone is scrambling around in the dark. What is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me. I think about it. A mere 200 years ago, slavery seen as a positive good. Now, how do we know? A couple hundred years from now, what we deem as good today will not be seen as evil. But moral darkness is also on a personal level. It is me deciding what is right for myself. It is taking the crown off the head of God and putting it on mine. I get to decide what's right for me. You don't get to tell me. 
And there's something attractive about the darkness, I think. Um, there's autonomy. You get to decide what is right for yourself. But it's also a place to hide. Imagine you have one of those really big pimples in the worst part of your face, right on the nose, where all sorts of foundation or concealer cannot cover it up. What do you do? You don't want to come into the light because it exposes the blemishes. And so the reason why we like the darkness is because it hides the mess that is inside. And so that's why true transformation is just really hard. It's really hard. It's not about atomic habits. It's not about routines. The issue, the issue is darkness. And sometimes we love the dark. Well, I wonder what you make of Jesus' analysis of mankind, or why people are resistant to change. Uh, perhaps it sounds a bit forceful, but I wonder whether you'd be open to the possibility of changing your mind. You see the problem. The problem is walking in darkness. And if the problem is darkness, then the solution is light. Look again to verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We are back in the cave, plunged into total darkness. Uh, you look at your hands and what hands you can't see anything. And all of a sudden you hear a voice in the back says, let there be light. And light pours into the cave and shines the whole space, makes it bright. And you cover your eyes because it hurts. It hurts. The light hurts. You see, when you're in the dark for too long, the light hurts and it's uncomfortable. But remember, light is not physical, but moral. And so that when the truth shines, it hurts. It's uncomfortable to be exposed. But the solution to darkness is light. But here's the issue I think most of us would be thinking, well, how do I know if this light is good? I mean, isn't it just another claim to truth? But listen again to what Jesus is saying. I am the light of the world. Do you notice what he says? On one hand, light, not physical, but moral, truth. On the other hand, I am. And what does it say? I am the light. It's a coming together of a person and truth. I am the light. Truth is personified. I mean, conceptually, I think we, that's a bit strange. How do you personify truth? But actually, it's really helpful if you think about it. If truth is a person, you can verify truth as you verify a person. Is the person good? If the person is good, truth is good. And if you read on in John's gospel, uh, you will find out that Jesus, the person, is good. He stands up to evil. He defends those who are his. He loves his own. And he lays down his life for his friends. Darren said he is the most amazing person, someone with authority, with strength, with responsibility, 
and does not seek his own glory at all. See, Jesus, he is good, and therefore his truth is good, and therefore the light is good. And so the transformation and offer here, it's not surface change. It's not tick box. It's not a PR campaign. The transformation here is moving out of darkness into light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darren, at the age of 50, decided to follow the light, and he was transformed. The question is, will you follow the light? Will you follow the light? Well, as I said before, the aim of the sessions is to give you some food for thought. And again, thank you, everyone, for being really generous with your time on a really busy weekday. And I'm aware there will be a variety of views in this room. That's okay. And maybe you have some unanswered questions. And we really love to help you here at Covent Garden Talks. Uh, this book that you have in your hand, uh, it's yours to keep. It's our gift from us to you. And can I encourage you to just read on, uh, just to read on and find out more about this person of Jesus. Here's a suggestion. Uh, get a pencil or pen. Just read through. If you see something that you agree, uh, just give it a tick. See something you disagree, put a cross towards it. Something that you don't understand, just put a question mark. And ask a friend who or the colleague who invited you for coffee, get him to pay or get her to pay, and ask him uh, all your, your questions. An alternative as well is that we meet here on Thursday mornings to look through John's gospel at eight in the morning. But that's a really excellent way just to come. There will be no silly questions. Just come, ask the questions, and be reading it through together as a group. So 8 a.m. here on Thursdays. If your timing doesn't work for you, that's okay. I look at the contact card that's on your table. There's a tick box right at the end. Uh, just have a tick if you want to find out more and timing doesn't work for you. We would love to find a time that suits you and we can help you find out more about the person of Jesus. And the last thing to say is perhaps something that what Darren said or what I said uh, might have struck a chord with you. I put a few lines on the handout in front of you, uh, just right at the bottom, uh, that perhaps you might like to say to Jesus on your own. But let me read the lines out for you. It goes, Jesus, I admit that I have been walking in darkness. I would like to follow the light, but I need help. Please, would you help me? While following the light, it may not be easy. It takes time to adjust to the light. It is uncomfortable for a start. But from Darren and myself, we can assure you that it is, it is good. It is good. And so if you think you can say those words, come speak to me after the talk. Again, thank you for your time, for being really generous with your time. But we meet here again next Thursday at 1. So I hope to see you guys next week. Thank you, everybody.